0: Hi, my name is Wyatt Troy, and I want to welcome you to Behind the Daw, the podcast that was created to help you become the artist that you've always wanted to be. We interview artists and music industry experts on an emotional, philosophical, and artistic level to get inside their heads, gather the best information, and then bring it back to you. By the way, this is a companion podcast to our new YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite artists to dissect their songs in real time. Also, within every podcast episode, we include a bounced and condensed version of the corresponding YouTube episode. But I highly encourage you to check out the full YouTube version. If you have any artists you would like to see come on the show, or if you have any feedback in general, you can contact me at wyatt at musicandstuffllc.com. For episode 16, we have Sam Matla, who runs the EDM podcast. It was an honor to have the man who got me into podcasting come on our podcast. In this episode, you get a behind-the-scenes look at EDM Prod. And Sam talks about a new course that he's launching. We also talk about getting to the heart of what we are truly passionate about. It's a really amazing episode and I highly encourage you to go check out Sam's channel as well. I just want to give a huge thanks to Sam, as well as a huge thanks to you for even coming through. And as always, if you enjoy what you learn and you'd like to learn more, go ahead and subscribe and we'll see you back here next week. By the way, Sam let me choose an intro song for this episode. So I chose Ordinary Lies by Kovex. He's an incredible producer who's based out of Denver and absolutely amazing person. I highly encourage you to go check him out. The link will be in the description. Also, one more thing. If you feel so inclined, we would love for you to leave a rate and review on iTunes. But for now, without further ado, here's Sam Matla. I just want to welcome everyone to Behind the Daw. This week we have the man, the myth, the legend, Sam Matla from the EDM podcast. How you doing, Sam? I'm good, man. I'm really good. How are you? Dude, I'm doing fantastic. This is like... This is a dream come true. I mean, not not only not even a year ago I started listening to your podcast, and, and here I am sitting in the guest bedroom of my house interviewing you. So this is this is something else, man. How's things going, man? What's what's going on in your life right
1: now? I'm trying to sleep more. I'm proud of you. Prepping for a new a new product launch in like two weeks. Things are good, man. Moved back down from Auckland to near Wellington, which is another city in New Zealand, and it's been sunny all week. I can't complain
0: so for those who don't know you i'm assuming that quite a few people do you know listening to this podcast i'm sure they they, they kind of made their way over from your podcast but for those who don't know who sam mala is let's get a little bit of a background
1: the short version uh, around the age of 14 got into blogging and music production at the same time and tried to set up quite a few businesses didn't work they failed but throughout my teenage years i've been making music you know like spending all my time on it pretty much um apart from the blogging and skateboarding here and there so so first year out of high school I was 17 and I sat down one day I was running a a blog about productivity personal productivity I sat down and I was like you know what I can't see myself doing this for the next 12 months I love music I want to do that sat down with my parents had a chat with them they were like well okay we can we can support you for six months but we're not just going to give you money forever and it's like cool which was a good thing because if they had just given me money continuously I would have become complacent so the whole idea was to put all my time into music production and, and make it as an artist uh, but within two weeks that kind of mindset shifted very very quickly and I can't remember exactly what contributed to that but it might have been a combination of watching the Armand Van Buren documentary and hearing that Skrillex play like 300 shows in a year and I was like you know what I don't actually want that kind of life I don't think I could handle it I don't think it's for me I like to be home I want to have a family I want to be able to see my kids grow up and so I made the kind of half conscious it was was subconscious and conscious decision to not pursue that what happened on that day that I decided to go full-time in music I also decided that I'd run a blog on the side to make some money because it takes more than six months to to make it an artist. And so within those that two-week period, everything kind of switched. And instead of spending like eight hours a day on music, it was eight hours a day on the blog and then a couple more hours on music. That was about four and a half years ago now. The initial point and EDM prod has grown ever since. It's a it's a full-time thing. Got a team. Oh, a team is two, two of us working, a few other people involved. It's been super fun, man. Like it's been a journey.
0: What is the mission of the podcast right now? So you know, it kind of started out as as a backup plan but now it's kind of taken full force in your mind so what what is the mission now is it just to inform artists or or what would you personally say the
1: podcast was uh, designed for the website and the podcast i mean it started out with articles for the first two years and that's what really built the business the podcast came after that you know i think One thing I'm really passionate about and extends beyond just music is clarification because there's a lot of information out there. Music producers don't struggle with a lack of information. They struggle with a lack of clarity or they don't know what to spend their time on. And so unintentionally, like looking back, what I did is kind of just aggregated that information and put it into ways that it was was simplified, I suppose. So people would know what to focus on, When to do it and so on and so forth. And so that's kind of one of my goals with the website and the podcast is like, let's cut through the noise and let's figure out what's really important here for people to focus on. Yeah. And the second thing is like with the podcast, I don't go in with much of a bias. I try not to at least. And if you listen to the podcast, like if you listen from episode one to uh, 73, is the one that's going up soon, you will hear contradictory advice and you can't avoid that. And so, in a way, you've kind of got to wrestle with these concepts and ideas of should I be focusing on quantity or quality? Should I be doing this in my sessions? Should I be, you know, trying to build my career this way? Should I market before I'm ready? So on and so on and so on. And you have to wrestle with that yourself, which I kind of like because there is no you know, cut blueprint approach to music production, to all of this. So part of it is, yeah, getting ideas out there and then also kind of clarifying those ideas as well and giving my own personal take on it. Uh, What I got
0: from that was what you are doing, what the mission of the website and the podcast is, is that the information that you bring isn't anything new. The the information is, well, maybe a little, some, some of the things are new, but most of the information that you're bringing is already out there somewhere on the internet or in the industry, but you're taking it You know, you're spit shining it a little bit, making it easy to chew, so to say, and then throwing your own spice on top of it. Is that is that kind of what you're doing? Yeah, you could say that. Going into that with the podcast, tell me what has been some of your favorite podcasts
1: on the podcast and and why were they some of your favorite ones? I really enjoyed chatting with Joey Suki he talked about his life he was a world touring artist you know collaborated with Hardwell doing it big and then he burned out and realized that the DJ life wasn't really for him and now he's a professional artist coach that was a cool story I really like oh there's so many man but both interviews with my good friend Bertie Vogt very smart guy very like meticulous if you know him if you listen to this and you know him you'll know what I'm talking about but those two interviews I think are jam-packed with uh, practical value and advice I would love to hear a little bit more about this this new course that you guys are launching uh tell tell me a little bit more about that yeah so build your artist career is a course made in collaboration with someone i just mentioned joey and the biggest reason for that is joey is awesome but also i'm not going to teach a course on how to build a career when i haven't actually done it um i've seen people do it i've helped people do it so i know a fair bit i haven't done it myself so i wanted to work in collaboration with someone else it's a four-week program launches Enrollment opens on the 13th. It's a four-week program. Uh, week one, you learn how to design uh, what we call an actionable artist plan for your career. So how do you set goals, systems, a vision that will help you get up every day and, and feel excited to work on music, on your career and so forth. Week two, networking. How do you become a powerful networker? How do you network online, in person? We give strategies for that, help you set up a dashboard. Week three and four are all about getting your music heard and building your audience. Um, how do you convert listeners into fans and then you graduate it's pretty intensive course it is self-paced so if it takes you longer than four weeks that's cool that's the gist of it and it's called build your artist career it's available on the 13th at buildyourartistcareer.com dude that that sounds amazing so tell me
0: do you have in you know in the the near future or or in the future in general do you have any aspirations to have uh, I guess you would say a traditional music career or has the podcast
1: and the teaching life kind of stolen your heart so to say and then you kind of find your passion in that yes to the last part of your question earlier on there were times where it's like maybe I should build a career and it would be easier to do now. I think that there's a platform there and I've got the network, but it just doesn't, it doesn't appeal to me. Still doesn't. And I think some people assume that I'm kind of sitting there like resentful that I couldn't do it. And that's totally not it. I've actually never really tried, you know, like I've never really put all my effort into it just because I don't want to. Like I, I just really don't. And I'm not saying it's bad. Like I don't, I don't want anyone who is wanting to do that feel like pursuing an artist career is bad. I think it's awesome. I think it's fantastic. I do think though that more people should, should think about what they want in the sense that it, it because it is a traditional approach and it's a common approach some people kind of like Joey fall into it and then realize that it's not for them and you can save yourself a lot of pain if you set up your career in a different way if you love producing but you hate performing then you can build a career that revolves around that maybe you're producing for pop artists or be a ghost producer we're not going to get into that debate it is a career path? No, I, I don't have a desire to do that. And I haven't for quite a while. You said
0: something that's really important for people to understand. Because I even had this question, you know, like when I was going to Icon or as I was, you know, doing all this stuff with Multiplier, primarily the people at Icon, as well as yourself, as well as Multiplier, you guys are educators and you find so much passion in that. You find so much happiness in that. And for me, with my short mindedness, I didn't get that because I thought anyone inside the music industry was only in it to be the performer, you know, making the music and selling it and touring and all that kind of stuff. But you were the first one to ever open my eyes to that saying, maybe first off, maybe there's another path. And second off, maybe this isn't what I want to do. Maybe I just want to make music just for the pure pleasure of making music and put it out, but then bring in the income by teaching or by doing something else, man. So like my, my hat is off to you, dude. Like that is amazing that you have found your, 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 your passion about it. Dude, way to go, man. Thank you. So my, my, my follow-up question with that is, I mean, do you personally maybe, you know, removing the idea of being a touring producer or sorry, touring DJ or, or or a famous producer or whatever.
1: I mean, do you personally still make music though? Uh, not as much as I used to. And this is something that I want to fix I think it's so easy for me to get weighted down by the demands of the business and neglect music production and that is definitely something I want to change I'm working on that then do you still feel a need to create music yes and no in the sense that I've never really had just a singular passion and I was talking about this on the interview I did prior with with Sarah he interviewed me I think it can be dangerous to have like a singular passion to the point where you rely on it for your happiness because there's some things you can't control like if you say I'm not going to be happy unless I have a career as a world touring artist that is a dangerous mindset to be in because there are variables there that are outside your control you could become deaf like that's unlikely but it could happen and what are you going to do i have quite a few different passions and i think that i don't feel a need in the way like if i'm not producing i start to feel depressed but it's definitely there there's like i listen to a song like a new song and i'm like man i just want to like sit down and make some music so there's definitely that to some degree i do kind of feel oh man i haven't put enough time in or like i haven't finished something in a while but i wouldn't call it a need more so kind of like a a glorified
0: want i guess you'd say you know yeah 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 you could say that yeah what is in the future for you then i mean is 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 edm prod kind of more so the the main focus of your future and also doing these courses on on uh, i don't know if you'd say on the side but as a way to to monetize kind of a thing for the foreseeable future
1: yeah I mean it's, it's really hard to answer a question like that because uh, it's a great question don't get me wrong it's just really hard to answer because if I think about you know starting this whole thing I was wasn't looking five years into the future I was kind of just like I'm going to write articles and I'm going to do this and to some extent that's where I am now it's like some of this stuff is working. I have the, the great privilege of being able to help so many artists and you know what's, what's happening now is being able to support financially really talented people who are also passionate about teaching and producing. And and I love that. Even if I kind of got to the point where I wasn't as passionate about teaching music production, I think I'd still want to be focused on the business to be able to provide that value for others. 20 years from now, am I going to be in the same space? I don't know.
0: <laughs> Something that I discovered as I've been interviewing people and talking to people, not only in the music industry, primarily in the music industry, but also outside of it, is that when it comes down to it, I feel like we kind of use the word passion a little bit interchangeably and a little bit, maybe not as it was designed to be used. The reason why is because a lot of people think that, you know, when they're coming into the music industry, their passion is making music and performing music. But really when you get down to the heart of it, that's not their passion, that's just the avenue in which their passion can be evoked. So for example, I have a really good friend. He goes by BDN. He primarily makes music to help people who struggle with addiction and with people who struggle with depression. That right there, that is his passion, is helping people who struggle with addiction, the same addictions that he struggled with and the same type of depression that he struggled with. And then the avenue in which he does that is through music. Mm. And so, I mean, similar... To me as well, you know, I I want to help people with anxiety and depression because I have been plagued with anxiety and depression and it kills me to think that there's people out there that I could help, but I don't know how to get to them. And so my avenue is something that I truly love, which is music. I'm assuming mm. that's what's going on with you is that you have a passion hidden somewhere in the, in the EDM podcast and the music production dreams that you've had. Yep. And now the, the EDM podcast and, and the website and everything is more so the avenue. I mean,
1: am I on the right page? Oh, 100%. And and that's something I've thought about a lot because it, sometimes, yeah, I do kind of feel like, oh, I'm not making music that much and, and so on and so on. And maybe I should be doing something else. The thing I think that really gets me excited and really gives me energy is teaching and consolidating ideas I I think systematically like gathering information and then kind of organizing it if I could just write books for a living I'd probably do that and maybe I will Maybe I will. I think that's what I'm. I'm truly passionate about, and yeah, electronic dance music just happens to be what that is at the moment. So tell me then. I mean, if we if we strip back the dreams of that you
0: had with being in music, and if we strip back the dreams of, of you know the, and the goals of the EDM podcast and the website and everything, what is your passion you know because I, I would even say that teaching still is is still kind of the avenue in which you are fulfilling your passion so like at the end of
1: the day i mean what is what is the deep desire of sam matla i don't fully know but helping people sounds too cliche and it's definitely not that because there's like i like helping people but it's not it I, I think helping people think better is what i like um make better decisions and there's just a lot of information out there in the world that yeah is contradictory or just simply isn't good advice. People get too captivated by what I advertise as shortcuts when they're not and they get disappointed and so on and so on. And I think that's part of it for me is is helping people really think about how to live and how to work and how to relax or whatever that may be. And it's not because I know everything, because I don't. Like I know hardly anything. But teaching people how to think so that they can judge information. And you know, that ties into so much more. I mean, I am really passionate. I'm not really doing anything about it at the moment, but I grew up in a town, quite a small town, and just saw a lot of young guys making those bad decisions. And I would say by no fault of their own, you know, they got dealt a bad hand and so on and so on. But wanting to help those kind of people and help boys become mean. Yeah, there's, there's something there for sure. That's beautiful, Sam. The way it translated to me,
0: right? So, you want to help people think better. Okay, so why would you want someone to think better? Why, you know, personally, why would you want yourself to think better? My first assumption would be to help prevent unneeded pain or unneeded struggle. Yes. Really, what I'm hearing you say is at the end of the day is that you have a passion to help people avoid unneeded struggle unneeded pain un, unneeded sorrow to to enhance their life in a much more fulfilling way. I mean, how how would you feel about that statement?
1: Yeah, I agree with it. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't use it as my elevator pitch, but I like it. I would also say pain, struggle and sorrow are inevitable and you have to learn how to deal with it. So that's part of it as well. I mean, you can't avoid it. As much as you want, as many self-help books as you read about manifesting your thoughts into reality, which is really nonsense. Uh, you're going. You're going to. Yeah, you're going to encounter really hard things that are completely outside of your control, um, and you need to learn how to deal with them. What has been the absolute
0: hardest thing that you've had to deal with and hopefully overcome
1: pertaining to your career? There, there was a time last year where the business was was running low, the income, and my brother was working for me, and so he was relying on me also had an engine at the time and uh, hit a pretty low point, but the business did, not me. I, I haven't faced a huge amount of struggle or maybe I have, but I just kind of block it from my memory. That was hard. This year has been pretty difficult with the workload increasing. Um, I can't pinpoint a specific moment. I think that a lot of the hard stuff came before EDM prod as a whole, in the sense that you know, I tried for so long to to start up a business and failed and failed. You know that can be discouraging when you when you try so hard, and you can start thinking that maybe it's not possible. Um, and I was pretty close to that. And EDM prod was kind of like the last kind, of like the last attempt. And it's like, oh, I'll just get a job. Jobs are awesome as well. Like, don't get me wrong. There there hasn't been a specific like crisis moment for me. Um, I'm sure there will be at some point inevitable but yeah nothing that's kind of it's kind of been like a slow a slow movement towards getting on this path as opposed to like I woke up one day and I was like I need to make changes it was just kind of like a gradual yeah inclination or or movement with the help of so many people my parents and and mentors and so on and so forth I mean that's been awesome and I'm so grateful for them
0: that kind of blows me away because you know I (laughs) <laughs> this is funny because like when I started listening to your podcast and it was just absorbing the, the the intense amount of information and wisdom that was coming from it, I remember very specifically having the thought, "Man, if I was in Sam Matlack's shoes, I would be doing so good right now." And so to have you on my podcast and you telling me that there was a time last year, probably when I was listening to the podcast, that
1: you were just like,
0: "Man, what if I, what if I don't
1: make it?" i have had so far i'm 22 i've had a comparatively easy life and and that is a blessing but i know that it's not i know that that's not life and of course i expect i don't expect the next 22 years to be like that i've never really been depressed i i don't have any health conditions that bother me yeah i've made stupid decisions and so on but irreversible the last year when that happened wasn't like a dark period of my life It was kind of like oh the business is not making money, let me fix it. I just remember walking into my brother's room, I was like, hey here's what's happening. I'm gonna I'm gonna get it sorted. Like I'm just gonna hustle. I'm so grateful for the life that I have. It's not been hard. I don't want people to get that impression because that would be dishonest. On two different fronts. So one was on the on, was on the concept
0: that I was talking about, but still, you know, someone that I looked up to you Still, I mean, to to some extent you still struggle with, I mean, or I don't know if you do now, but to to some extent you struggled with self-doubt even when you were in the midst of what I would consider great success. I think that's important to note that that self-doubt, I kind of feel like it never truly goes away. You can only push it away for a time and by your good decisions and by like good habits and everything, you can keep it at bay and keep it away. And then the second thing that I wanted to, to really say that was amazing is your work ethic, man. And this is something that I've always been really inspired by you. You know, I see some of the things you post on Facebook and everything, and obviously a lot from the EDM podcast, you are v- you have an amazing work ethic. You, you're incredible, dude. You're, you're very dedicated to what you want to do and what you want to achieve and you're willing to put in the work and you're not, you know what I mean? You're like, Oh, I need to build a mountain. Cool. I'm going to build a mountain. And I'm not going to complain one time. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's, that's the Sam Matlet. and I'll look up to you, man. Like, like, thanks for absolutely dude. Like that's uh, you do good, man. You do really good, but thank you for clarifying that. That was, that was, that was really, that was very manly yeah, of you. <laughs> <Definitely. laughs> this brings me the deepest pleasure to be able to ask this question you're on a desert island oh no and you have your laptop and you can only
1: have three plugins what would those three plugins be a serum native effects are included of course of course valhalla room Reverb. i don't know if this would be it but i love the supercharger compressor from native instruments Well, that's awesome use it on pianos and just sounds awesome all right so
0: that's what you get you got serum you got valhalla and you got supercharger compressor That sounds like that sounds pretty amazing, dude. And now it also brings me great pleasure to ask this question as well. In your current town that you're living in, there is aliens that show up. And so you go down there (laughs) and you're like, hey, what's up, aliens? They're like, hey, it's Sam Matla. This is awesome. They want to take you and you're like, oh, man, that sounds great. High five. You you can totally take me. But really quick, I got to write down three pieces of advice for humanity to remember me by. What are
1: those three pieces of advice? Reduce dependencies. And I mean this in the sense like we kind of talked about it earlier. If your happiness or your health relies on just one thing. So if if you're only happy if you're full time in music, that is a dependency. If you're not doing that for whatever reason, you're not going to be happy. So you want to figure out a solution to that. And my solution would be develop a curious mind, which means that you can have more than one passion or, or more than one interest. And the way you develop that curious mind, in my opinion, is just read more books. Really simple. And the second thing is focus. I see this everywhere, and I do it myself, and I shouldn't. But we all like shiny things, and we all like to do new stuff. Often, there's something or one or two things that are working really well that we should just double down on. And and so focus will be my second thing. In the sense that like just do a few things really well and, and you'll be good and i think that's probably a generational issue as well the third thing would be don't try to find life hacks unless you're getting like eight hours of sleep a night unless you're exercising five to seven times a week and unless your diet is good no life hack is gonna substitute uh be a substitute for that those are like the three things you need to get sorted and then you will have more energy uh you'll be healthier obviously you'll think better you'll feel better and then on top of that it's like the 80 percent you can chuck in a few hacks or whatever you want to call them like you can't just lay them on top of nothing so i would say take care of that stuff and it can be hard to do but do it
0: thank you for that wisdom now the final thing before we head out would it be okay if i gave you some advice pertaining to the edm podcast? broadcast Got a there's this book it's called building a story brand by donald miller have you ever read this book before i have not so this is absolutely incredible so so what it's talking about is actually building a story around your brand and so for example, if you look at some of the, the most popular movies of the last like 50 years, all of them have certain characteristics in common, certain things about their stories. And then if you look at the most popular businesses in the world, they all have something similar to it in their story. And so according to this book, there's four things. Number one, there is a hero. Number two, there is a guide for the hero. Number three, there is an enemy. And number four, there is some type of consequence if the hero does not overcome. The enemy. You look at anything from Star Wars to the Lord of the Rings to Transformers to Dragon Ball Z, those have all been kind of the very watered down basics. Some of the most popular businesses and successful businesses in the world implement this. And the way that they implement this is this, so they have a story behind their brand, but they never position themselves as the hero. And I feel like you have done a very, very good job. And I feel like if you clarify this just a little bit more, it'll actually improve so much more. Where you, in the EDM prod standpoint, are not the hero. You are the guide. You are the you are the Gandalf. You are you are the wise new zealand man with the beard that knows what's going on the hero is the person that's coming and partaking of it 100 yeah. yeah man so if you if you frame it like that and let's say you know the enemy is uh self-doubt or burnout or as you like to say wrong information or not being able to think the best that you can and so i think if you read that book and you and you apply the principles in there and you really emphasize hey i'm the guide but you are the hero you are the one that's gonna change the world you are the one that's going to help people you are the one I think that you will fulfill your dreams and fulfill your goals so much faster and more efficient and uh, and with so much more satisfaction how does that sound sounds good man I've heard of that concept before yeah think about it and again I feel like you do absolutely great with the EDM broadcast I've never felt like Sam Matla was the hero I always felt like you were the guide you know what I mean because I'm not (laughs) any last words from Sam Matla Uh, Keep on grinding. Keep at it. If anyone wants to get in contact
1: with you or find out more about the podcast or anything such as that, how can people find you? Sam at edmprod.com. However, if you're going to send me questions, just send one because like I just get a lot of emails. As for the sake of the podcast and everything else, I won't be able to do it if I just spend all my days, all my time answering emails. So please just be... Aware of that, but yeah, you can send me an email there, Sam at edmpro.com. Thank you so much, Sam. Of course, dude. Thank you. And
0: now, here's this week's podcast version of In the Daw with Felmax. In the beginning, I think there's war drums. Am I right?
2: Yes. Let me see. So I'm missing the drum here, as you can see, it's a drum too. But for the most part, when I do use those crazy epic drums, I mainly get them from here. Right, so I have this sample pack here. I downloaded like I don't know like a year or two ago, which is basically like movie Mad Max stuff, and it has really just like epic drum loops, like this. <laughs> what I usually do is I'll find, I'll find one that I like that it isn't in the tempo of the song that I'm working in, and then I'll just fit it to the tempo, make sure it's on key, and then I'll place it there. Yeah, as far as the processing goes, there wasn't really anything, honestly, it was just mainly like the layering with this, this near here, this, these claps, and these
3: rides. The main sound in the drop, yeah, how did that come together?
2: That was this right here, I'll show you. It was this thing I had from this company pack and I just reprocessed it. Then F, I brought it down to, I think, D sharp. Yeah, to D, that's my favorite key to work in, I don't know why, I feel like the 808 sound way better like that. And then basically I just rearranged it because it played out like this. So the original thing sounded like this. So I brought it down to D. And then just rearranged the, the way that the synth like, came out. And the processing on this is I have a Camel Crusher. I always put Camel Crusher, British clean. I'm sure you guys know all about that. Some EQ, sausage fattener, but I don't even have that on this computer, so it's rather not even open. I like to use the effector on FL. I like to use it very, very subtle in the sense, depending on what it is. What I would normally use is the vocoder. I always really like the vocoder on here. For the most part, I guess everything comes from the, from the Camel Crusher.
0: For for people who don't know, I'm assuming most people will know what Camel Crusher is, but for, for those maybe who are just just, you know, getting into it. What does Camera Crusher do and why is this particular setting your favorite?
2: It's like a compression distortion. It's kind of like the Songodizer. If you use FL Studio, you know what the Soundizer is. The way I see it, it's like the Songodizer, but like better. I like to use it on British Clean, to be completely honest. I forgot who it was that told me, but they were like, yeah, you gotta get Camera Crusher, British Clean on everything. And I tried it and it works. And when I ask around, when I asked my producer homies if they use Camera Crusher, they all use British Clean. So I, I forgot who referenced it to me. Some random producer dude in Miami called Resnault. When I first started producing, he was um, I used to make like house and he was making um, dubstep and he used Camel Crusher. He was using Homicide, there you go, Yeah. yeah, Homicide.
0: Do you put Camel Crusher on everything or is there only certain elements that you put it on?
2: I'll mainly put it on synths. I'll never put it on the kick. I'll never put it on the 808. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. I'll never put it on the baseline. I'll never put it mainly on like things that I feel need to be brighter. I use it to like, to widen things to make it brighter to make it sound like I'm not so um, muffled.
3: I'm not super fami- familiar with FL so are you sidechain compressing that? And I suppose yeah if so, how does sidechain work in F- FL do you have to root into a, a, a separate channel? Or?
2: The way I do my sidechain is very unorthodox. I don't know I've never seen anybody do it like this. Basically I could be wrong here but the way I do it is whatever I'm sidechaining, I'll just automate the volume to go from like up and down. And then when I do that, I feel like I have more control over the way that the side-chaining goes. Like if I wanted to like curve here, I can just, you know, curve it here. And then if I want to, this one to be different from this one, like I can just move this one, make this one unique. And then, you know, but yeah, that's how I do my side-chaining. I basically just automate the volume to go from low to high. Cause I'm pretty sure that's what side-chaining is anyways. Right?
0: Yeah, exactly. So when you're doing that, it, you're automating the actual fader, the actual like volume fader?
2: <laughs> yeah, the actual volume. So you see it's here, like when it plays, you see? So, I'll make the animation clip and then I'll just do the side chaining.
0: So, question with that then. So, like later on, if you're mixing, you know, if you, if you go to mix the volume, I mean, does it, because you already have automation on there, does it mess with it? You, you see what I'm saying?
2: Not necessarily. Also the way I do my mix downs, like I'll do everything internal here on FL, I'll, I'll mix it down to the, this song uh, back, I actually didn't mix it, uh, Max Satter did. The way I do my mix downs, I'll do it all internal in FL Studio, I'll mix it down to the best of my abilities at negative six. Then I'll just throw it, go on Ableton 10 and I'll throw my master chain, I'll do some mastering stuff on it. As far as, I, it doesn't really affect the mix down. I've never, I've never noticed it, do that before.
0: The reason why I'm wondering, here is so let's see that you know that company drop loop that 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 whole that whole channel right there you know like let's say you set the whole channel you know you turn down to like let's say it's a it's negative five and then you go and you uh automate the volume so that it goes from zero up all the way but then later on you're like ah it's just it's just too quiet at negative five i need it to be up at negative three so if you go up and you push it up to negative three does that mess with any of your automation
3: settings or anything you see what i'm saying the way around that enable is if you wanted to say disable- bring the whole channel down without affecting the automation. You could use a utility. Um, so it's kind of like a, a roundabout way of working.
2: Oh, sorry yeah. to I see. I think you're a little confused. I'm not automating the channel. I'm not automating the whole okay. channel. I'm, okay. doing the automa- I'm doing the automation on the actual like loop. I'm not on the channel itself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that would be crazy.
0: I think it's in the first drop and I think it's like halfway through the drop. I think you have like some type of like choir or some kind of like vocal in the background or something like that. Am I am I wrong? Maybe it wasn't a choir. Maybe it wasn't a vocal. It's, I don't know. It sounded like some kind of element that was kind of like pad-like, that was, you know, that was sustaining, but it, it wasn't a shout or anything like that.
2: I'm not sure if I did it. A lot of times what I do in my tracks when I feel like it's empty, or like it's you know missing something. I'll literally just record myself humming in that tone. I'll just record myself like, and then I'll just like add it there. A little bit of reverb, not too much, so it doesn't make everything cluttered. And then just very very light in the background. I'm not sure if I did it here. I can't. I can't really see that I did.
3: Could it be that war horn sample? Maybe. I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, there is a war
2: horn here, but I think.
3: I,
0: th- I think that's actually what I was hearing. Can you solo that out? yeah it's just a cashmere warhorn that's it that's that's what i was hearing
2: this is literally almost like all my tracks i love the cashmere pack it has really good like i like to make i like to make stuff that's like epic and like you know mad max sounding obviously contact is great for that but cashmere does have a lot of good effects like like i'm sure you guys have seen like a raccoon and like bee. like who else has that you know
3: definitely I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that especially that exhaust effect from cashmere uh, I think is uh, one of the most useful samples, like, I feel like the last few years. How would a, a track like this come together? Did, did you start off right in the main drop section?
2: The way that I work, I like whether I'm using a sample or a, or a synth or a synth or a serum or massive or whatever it is, the way I work, I like to just hear a sound that I personally like and that triggers in my head a whole drop. So when I heard this first stab here, though, I immediately, like, I, I, I wanted to do something with it. I heard the loop and obviously I'm not going to copy paste or whatnot. So I just did some rearrangements on it. I don't know if you guys have heard a lot of my stuff. I like to use like brazzy, you know, horns and kind of stuff. And this song, this this lead here, I felt like it was brazzy, but not like your typical braz. So the way I started was I heard the, heard the loop, did the rearrangement on it. This thing, I hear this little right here because it makes the whole drop so i've made the i made this then i make the percussion there's a lot of little things there's a lot of like little random like okay, then, I, then i go gonna gather the little filler things you know <laughs> but the first thing i always do is the main synth i cannot start a song without starting the drop because then i don't know what i'm working toward personally you start with the drop very very first yeah, I have to. Like I said, it's not, I just don't know what I'm like. Like I'll make like a I'll make like a build up and an intro and everything, but then it's like, all right, where is this gonna go? Did that
0: snare come from one of your really epic cinematic stuff as well because I really like that snare.
2: This is actually my snare song um, I've never been using it on my tracks um' I'm about to, I'm, I'm, about to, I'm about to spill the beans right now so I made this snare when I first made my song raven I was at, I used to work at a restaurant and I remember I was hearing lighters up by floster du and nightmare and there's a play I remember because I, I used to I used to like cook and I was I was in the kitchen and I remember specifically there's a there's a part of the song where the snare just plays out clean 100 percent by itself I know you guys know exactly what part I'm talking about and I was like all right I gotta sample that so I went. I changed the pitch of it. I used it in Raven. I layered it with like a another like I think it was like an EKalli snare, and I've used it on all my tracks since. Well, most of them. It doesn't even have any processing on it.
0: Also, do you use the same kick in every in every uh, song?
2: I layered this. I'm. I i do not think it's on here, but I layer all my kicks with this one here. I don't know if again. I don't know if I'm wrong for doing that, but whatever. It's
0: it's it's art. Nothing's wrong.
2: Yeah. Okay. Good. The caddy threats kick. What I'll do is I'll layer. Uh, I'll put that on top of the other kick, and then I just cut off the high end. The yeah, the high the on it.
0: This is just thumpy. You like that thump?
2: Yeah. And to be completely honest, I got that from um because we I, I've been doing my own um engineering now for like about a year, maybe a little longer. But before Max Max Tyler was, and then he would tell me he's like, "Yo, you should try try this" because it's this something he was
3: doing, and I did not I've been doing it on my tractions. So how long would a track like this normally take? Is it like 10 hours or 30, 40 hours?
2: This one was a quick one. As you can see, the project file is not really like, well, I guess it was 80. (laughs) Oh,
3: dang. I didn't realize it kept
2: track of time. That's so cool, man. Oh yeah, Ableton's lacking, man. Ableton has to get on that. Yeah, to be completely honest though, I really don't think this was 83 hours. I'm pretty sure it was like another (laughs) project and I was just messing around, messing around, and eventually it came to the final to what it is now. I'm 100 percent sure that this. I did not spend 83 hours. On
0: it. All right, honestly, that is, that is a pretty cool thing that FL has going for it.
2: The way I like to work, whatever the root node is, I'll just um obviously I'll make the 808 uh, whatever the, that the note is so the this is in D, so eight oh eights are in D and then here if you're referring to how it's like color, not all the way like this. I like to do that just because it um I feel like if the when the eight oh eights are playing together or any bass, even if it's a sub, if it's like just the whole way through, it's mm, I don't know, I don't like it. I feel like when there's gaps it gives more it gives it more bounce to it and it gives it more, you know, more of a bouncy feel. That's why like I, I always like to use gaps. I'll never like to just like I like to and then cut it with the snare, you know? And another thing that I do all the time too, I'll have the first 808 play out and then it'll cut off when the snare comes in and whatnot.
0: Cause yeah, cause if you had your 808 playing all the time, it's just, it's just like a movie that's just like super intense
2: all the time. Sound like- that's kind of boring you know if it stops it's like i don't know it just bounces yeah it gives you gives you a second to breathe exactly and especially here i feel like that's what makes us the drop that when it comes in it's not just a drop it comes in and then there's like a little percussion and then the bass comes back in i feel like that's what makes a song for me at least
0: question with your percussion though i feel like i found a lot of really really amazing results with 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 doing percussion if I basically find something that's so off the grid, so groovy and just kind of like throwing it in there and making it work with things that are on the grid. Do you find that you're doing the same thing or is like all of your percussion just basically straight on the grid?
2: I don't like to have my percussions where you expect it, you know, cause when it's, it's expected, it's like if you expect, for example, like at the end of like every four bars is a little thing. Yeah. Everyone does that. But if you go and you throw it in here and there, I feel like it adds more flair to the song. It, has, it adds more elements, more stuff for people to listen to. The average listener like that. A listener won't necessarily pick up on, but there's more stuff going on in the song that's entertaining. Not to producers. Obviously, you hear, you know where the percussion is, you know where everything's
3: at. So you mentioned you used Ableton to master? Yeah, yeah. I started, um, I got into Ableton
2: probably like eight months ago, maybe nine months ago. I've been producing for like seven years. I started on Reason. Then I went to Fruity Loops. I, I never recommend anybody to start on Reason, by the way. That then I went to Fruity Loops, and all my homies use Ableton. I just wanted to learn because I got tired of you know going to studios and then they don't have FL, and then my computer was very crappy, so I would I wouldn't be able to bring it. So you go to your studio and then you just there like picked up Ableton a few months back. I had Heckler Sean. I actually called him because he's he's one of my close friends, and um he was on uh, FL too. So I called him and I was like, "Yo, you can explain everything to me." So I opened up FL and I'm like, "Okay, so on the mixer, there's this. How do I do this on Ableton?" And so on and so on. We did it for like two hours. He didn't like. Obviously, it wasn't like everything, but it was enough for me to learn what I needed to learn. And then I had Tassie on. Um, he's he's helped me out too. He he tossed me his um one of his master chains so I can see how you know how he does his processing and his mastering. And he's he's a beast. You guys, I'm sure I know you guys had him on there before. That Vince is nasty. So yeah, so that's, that's, that's basically how I do the mastering and whatnot. Here's the reason why I moved to Ableton. And I do my, so like when I do sound design, I do my sound design on Ableton because in FL studios, like if you look, if I want to go and I, let's say, and I have Cereal Mobile, in Ableton, if you want to automate the rate, you, the, you click on it and the line comes out. Yeah. In FL studios, I have to go to current projects, generators, find serum I gotta find wherever serums at then I gotta find what this is called on this Dropbox uh, drop down menu and then right click then create automation clip that's why I was like yeah I use I, I think FO Studio is definitely better for, as far as um, so song structure. Because like, like, you can just make your patterns. I don't. I don't like to use patterns, but there's people that do. But you can just make your patterns, and it's just like um, all boxes. You no, know, it's literally all boxes. You know, I feel like that's something you can necessarily like. At least I can't do um on Ableton yet as far as song structure. So now the way I work is I'll go into Ableton, I'll make something that I that I that I like that I think would be cool i export it as a wave, bring it into FL and then do like reprocessing and then go from there. It's a little weird, but it, it works for me.
0: I guess that's something that I've always took for granted because I started in Ableton being able to have like, yeah, you touch a you touch a parameter and it instantly comes up in Ableton. I thought it was amazing, but I thought that everyone had it. So I, I didn't realize that you had to kind of jump through loops like this in, in FL.
2: Dude, It's so bad doing the automations in FL Studio. It's like anything you want to automate is just annoying. I'd rather just click on it, line comes out. And then, and then you can you can literally like do whatever you want. Here it's like, you gotta click here and then click here. And it's just annoying, you can't just, you know, and, and able to not be able to do this and all of that would come up.
0: Just out of curiosity, since we're on this concept, why do you still use FL? I know you just mentioned the, the reason about the arrangement. But I mean, is there is there a reason that's like holding you back from just like diving into the Ableton pool? It's
2: user friendly, man. Like FL is user friendly. Like, like, and I'm not saying anybody can pick up FL and learn. But if you if you go and you take the time and you come home and you practice, you know, you you can learn. I feel like you can learn easier than you can Ab- Ableton. Because like first time I looked at Ableton, I thought I was looking at Chinese. Like I did not understand what was going on when I looked at FL Studios. I kind of had a general idea of what was going on mainly because there's like there's this um, the playlist the sequencer and I'm sure Ableton has all the same things but I feel like here it's easier for for me to access. Maybe I'm wrong but here like I think the way like if I want reverb or any type of effect I think it's done easier in FL but again the whole automation things on Ableton that's that's weird. I
3: good. think I kind of agree I think it's the session view versus um, arrangement view that just makes it unnecessarily complicated for most people because I think 95% of people. Almost never need session view, so I feel like Ableton would be improved by having session view something you have to proactively open. So the, the first time people load up Ableton, it just loads up in arrangement view, maybe with some nice faders or something. Um, and I think that would help an awful lot of people, to be honest.
0: Because session view in and of itself is actually it's it's really really smart, and if you know how to use it, you can actually get some really really cool results out of it. Especially some sound design results, it's actually really cool. But you're right. If you're coming from this, you know, you're primarily in an arrangement view in this kind of fashion. And you're know, like, with FL, everything's linear, moving from left to right. And then all of a sudden you open up Ableton and there's a session view. You're like, no, no. <laughs> Question for you. So it, I believe it's at the beginning of the song where you have, well, actually, it's through, through uh, the entire song, but you have that vocal sample. says bring it back and then uh, on that vocal sample it sounds like there's some kind of like metallic delay to it am i am i correct
2: it's like what i said on the on the effector i like to use it a lot but depends on what it is but i like the flame on here gives it a nice cool metallic effect normally what i would do to give it that sound i would go on the delay bring it back Okay. normally i would put it on that on here like on the one note and it gives it that metallic sound but um for here i just use the flanger and also I, I like to use a lot of um fl studio stock plugins i don't like to use a lot of like i do use third-party vsts but i think if um even Ableton, everything that Ableton comes with to stock is powerful if you like to use it same goes for fl studio and any other any other dock. do
0: you do that also because they sound good but also do you do it because just to like save cpu
2: or is there another reason why you just tend to use the native plugins that it comes with? Yeah, it's a safe CPU for the most part, too. I mean, before, like, I had this computer is actually new. This is an Omen from HP, it's great, it's amazing. Before, I was on this breaking thing from 2007.
3: What would you say was the most difficult part of this track, or, or did it come together quite easily? The most difficult
2: part for me in the song was definitely the percussion. I'm not, I'm not a lazy producer. I've been a lazy producer before. At times where I'm like, okay, I know I could do this and this to make the songs, but it's like, you kind of just like, I don't know, it's, it's kind of lazy. Uh, on my end and for me was basically getting the the percussion and everything to get it to uh, to sound how I wanted it to sound. I think that's probably the hardest part for me to make like the little to get the little filler stuff going because I've been like before this I wasn't like I was very I was very basic. I wasn't trying to do anything too crazy. I don't know why. Definitely the percussion was what it was for me. After this song I started getting into like like I used to hate doing intros and outros. After I did back I love doing intros and outros. I don't know why but definitely these little these little bad boys. There's a bunch of like little random stuff. There's these little shouts here too.
0: Let's say you woke up tomorrow and basically everyone forgot that you released this song. And so you're like, cool, I'm actually going to release it again. Is there anything that you would do differently about this song?
3: Oh no,
2: yeah. I would if I could go back and change all my old, all my old stuff, I 100% would. I feel like I've definitely in the past year alone, I've learned, I've picked up a bunch of things on on, on production and I've worked with a few people like I've been able to sit in the studio with um uh, five finger death punch I've been able to sit in the studio with Shaw Heckler. was was you know people like for me Sean he's one of the people that like I could learn a lot from because his sound design is nuts if you hear his stuff his stuff is crazy but I definitely would go back and you know just change a few things on it make it more modern way better intro
0: just out of curiosity i mean what specifically what would be something that you would change and how would you change it
2: the intro I would definitely make it more melodic before on all my old tracks all my intros were basically like I said not that I was lazy I don't want I don't want people to think that but before what I would do was okay I have my drop because remember I said I start everything with a drop I have my drop so my intro would basically be me taking the drop apart and then slowly bringing it all in go to a build up and then the drops now I'm just like I don't want to do that I want to make like the intro brand new sounds something completely different from the drop that's Probably what I would change is go back and make the intro a lot more melodic, you know, more, more listener-friendly. Even though the song is great, the song I I still play, I think the song, is, it, it bangs live, you know? You, you get over some of the stuff. Like, you know, I'm sure a lot of producers aren't too fond of their old music.
3: Was there anything you did in this track that some people might call technically incorrect but worked in the context of this this song I
2: feel like I'm not like very technical with certain things like the way I sidechain I feel like that's incorrect you know people are like I've I've worked with people and they're like why are you sidechaining I mean it's the same thing besides that no not really then again maybe it's because like I feel like in music like I I did take a music production class for my first time and I, uh, I learned the first rule was there's no rules to making music besides the obvious basic rules so with that being said, sometimes when I feel like, okay, maybe this is wrong, like, I don't know, like putting a vocal compressor on a kick, even if, it doesn't matter if it's, if it sounds weird, like if, if, if when you hear it, it's like a vocal compressor on a kick, that sounds weird, but if when you play, it, it sounds good. That's all I that
0: meant. Would you like to have, our feedback on your song?
2: Oh yeah, of course. I means. I love feedback.
0: How much do you love your 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 brass hits? Like your big brass hits?
2: I I cannot. I put out what like three brass songs, right? And I, and I go on Reddit. And I see people like, oh, this guy doesn't make anything but brass music, and I'm like, okay. I release a bass house record, not even to switch it up, just because I like, I like, to, I like to make all types of stuff. And then the same person like, oh man, I wish this guy would go back, <laughs> go back to the brass. <laughs> so as of now, I hate, I hate the whole brass thing. I hate like
0: you're you're entering the phase where it's like the brass hit was cool, but now you're kind of moving away from it. Yeah,
2: I've, I've been I've been moving away from. It. I don't know, I, I don't want to be I don't want to be a brass guy. Somebody else could be the brass guy.
0: Cool. Okay. So the, re- the reason why I bring it up is exactly the reason why you're saying it, is just because It is like the brass. Like it's a cool. It sounds really, really cool, you know. But it's kind of been beaten half to death, and so that is is really like my main thing about this is that I loved the sound design. Is obviously I love I love songs like this. You know what I mean? I go to the gym and just like thrive on these type of songs. You know, I need these type of songs. I don't know if it's just something culturally or just something that I'm just so used to now. But like when I do hear the brass, it's almost like instantly I'm like, "Ah." you know what I mean? Like I still I feel like you know you're a smart. Guy, you're you're a great producer, and so I feel like you could fill that brass void that you have now with with something else, and it can still like kind of act as that like that downbeat, you know, like super strong, really beautiful texture thing that just like smacks you in the face. I mean, do you do you agree, or what what, what do you feel with
2: that? one thousand percent. Like the brass thing was cool, and it's like a lot of that's the thing. A lot of people have done it. Anybody can anybody now. Here's the thing: when I first started doing the, my brass, my 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 first brass track, which was Dough I made that song three years ago. There was no Semantics Brass. Now anyone can go download a Sematics Brass and it sounds good. I'm not hating on like, it, 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 it sounds great. So now I'm kind of just like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. It's, it's simple and it's like, I like to challenge myself as like, as now I like to challenge myself as a producer and as an artist. I'm at a point now where it's like, it takes me four, six songs in a matter of like two weeks I can't do that anymore because now I have higher standards for myself. Now I have like, I want to push it. I don't want to make another brass track. I don't want to do that.
0: I think it's important to note though, if your answer was, no, I actually really, really love that. That would have been okay too, because you know I don't want you to not do brass music anymore and make these brass things just because of like culturally or because of outside influences. If you yourself love it, if you love the sound of brass hits and everything, then you have a responsibility to yourself to do that because that's truly what you love. But if it's kind of like, you know what, it was okay, you know, like I, I wasn't against it, but you know, it, it was all right. It was cool. I did it, but now I'm just like, ah, eh, just not feeling it anymore. That's okay too, dude. You just need to stay true to what you feel and what you want, and not worry about what other people want. Basically,
2: well, all that matters is that you're your content with your content, that you're happy with your music. It doesn't matter if you send it off for promos and no label picks up on it. You know, if you, if you go to if you go to sleep at night and you're happy with the music that you're making, that's all that matters. So like me, I'll never like I didn't stop the brass thing because it was like a like a cultural thing. It was more like, all right, I. I gotta i gotta challenge myself i want to make more cooler sound music than just brass
0: that you said something in there that was really cool i've actually never heard that before you have to be content with your content like that's cool that's that's nice
3: yeah so i suppose yeah, in, in terms of feedback i literally couldn't spot anything that i could really say negative about the track um so it's purely one way i think that could take it to the next level just purely based on my own preferences almost to add more story to it um so if, if, if you listen to most of knife Party's tracks for example even like their most like Banger tracks. Uh, there's still a little bit of story to it. Um, sometimes more story than other tracks. But I don't think that's a really good way of standing out in a genre like this. Because, while, well, yes, I put this in like the highest. Category in terms of quality for tracks like this, there, there are literally thousands—or not maybe not thousands—but there are hundreds and hundreds of equally good, amazing tracks. So I think having having a bit of story, even if it's just like a really small amount of the track, uh, I think is a really powerful way just to yeah, take it to that next level and uh, also also make it more memorable and, and kind of give it more of a like a long-term uh, long tail. Whereas like sometimes it, if, it's, if it's purely a really good track, then it's great for a bit and then it kind of dies off. But if it has that kind of story element, then at least in my eyes, it kind of hangs around for years and years and years. So yeah, that, that's just, as I said, purely to my own preference, but I think it could be a, a, a really cool way to take it to the next level. Well,
2: yeah, and I definitely agree, which is why I said the whole thing about like the intro, like, like what you said, but like uh, making a story, like making a story, not just like before how I said I would do the drop and then basically I would get the drop, deconstruct it, put in the intro. That's not a story. That's just the same thing the whole way through. Yeah, I, I agree 10,000%, you know, adding more elements at the song, like something that plays in the song for just that one that one part and doesn't play Play again, stuff like that, you know, that, I feel like that would make that would definitely make it, I, I agree.